0: Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Thanks for joining us for our online gathering. In 1860, Abraham Lincoln was the Republican nominee to be president. At that time, he was clean-shaven. That did not last for long. He got a letter from an 11-year-old girl named Grace Bedell. And this is a little of Grace's letter to Abraham Lincoln. Dear sir, my father has just come home from the fair and brought home your picture I'm a little girl, only 11 years old, but want you to be president of the United States very much, so hope you won't think me very bold to write such a great man as you are. Have you any little girls about as large as I am? If so, give them my love and tell them to write to me if you cannot answer this letter. I have four brothers, and part of them will vote for you anyway, and if you will let your whiskers grow... I will try to get the rest of them to vote for you. You would look a great deal better for your face is so thin. All the ladies like whiskers, and they would tease their husbands to vote for you. I will try and get everyone to vote for you that I can. I've got a little baby sister. She is nine weeks old and is just as cunning as can be. Goodbye, Grace Bedell. I love that line. All the ladies like whiskers whiskers i'm not sure if that's true lincoln wrote back a few days later imagine that and he told her that it it, he would he would ponder but it seemed like a a a silly kind of thing because he had never had whiskers before but he must have pondered it and taken this young lady's advice and he he grew a beard and it changed the face of our nation get that joke face of our nation i mean if you got to describe a joke it's not funny i guess Anyway, check out these two pictures. Who would you rather vote for? Clean-shaven Abe or bearded Abe? He might have lost the election if he didn't take Grace's advice. Uh, During his inauguration, or on the way to his inauguration, he stopped into Grace's hometown to actually thank her uh, for her advice. We're in the third week of a series on Proverbs called How Not to Be a Fool. And just a little bit of a review, Proverbs is a piece of Hebrew scripture called The Wisdom Literature. How to Live Life Well. It's written by men and women who we refer to as sages, wise people who have learned to live life well. They've learned to live with uh, along the lines of the Hebrew word, hokmah, which means skillful living. Uh, the foundation of hokmah in Proverbs 1-7 <clears throat> is to fear the Lord or to take God seriously. And these men and women, imagine a room filled with them, It's just steeped with Hokmah, and you walk in, and they're there, and they're just giving you advice, tried and true wisdom of how to do life well. That's the book of Proverbs, and it's such a gift uh, to us. Last week, we talked about uh, how to become a fool because we don't want to become a fool, and we began the message talking about our conception of fool was shaped by TV and movies, and it's not the, the, the conception of a, sh- of a fool from the Hebrew scriptures. Our, our vision of a fool is the three stooges or Lloyd and Harry from Dumb and Dumber. That's not what a fool is in the Hebrew scriptures. A fool in the Hebrew scriptures is someone who thinks they're wise. They not only think they're wise, they think they're wiser than everyone else. They think they're wiser than God. They always have an answer for everything. They never take advice. They never say they're sorry. They never change their mind. The sages of Proverbs will tell us fools are dangerous. And that's why our entire series and really the book of Proverbs is how not to become a fool. Starting today, over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five different topics that the sages of scripture talk about in Proverbs. They talk about a ton of everyday topics. We've chosen five of them. They talk about a lot. And our topic for today is the power of words that was illustrated with Grace Vidal's letter, her words literally caused Abraham Lincoln to grow a beard and maybe changed uh, the shape of history. Uh, words are powerful, and we're going to hone in on that idea today and look at what the book of Proverbs says about our words and our speech. Uh, for our reading of Scripture today, our public reading, uh, we have Mercedes, So, Mercedes, take it away. The sages of Scripture know that words matter because words are are powerful. One of the books I've used to prep for this uh, series is a book by an Old Testament scholar, uh, Glenn uh, Pemberton. And the name of the book is A Life That Is Good. Glenn differentiates between the good life, which we're all told to seek, which is basically just live for yourself and be happy and die. He differentiates between the good life and the life that is good. And it's a distinctly different life. The sages don't want us to live the good life. They want us to live a life that is good and that's borne out in how we use our words this is how important to the sages the use of words is glenn went through and he surveyed the entire book of proverbs (laughs) i'm sure it took him a a ton of time and he discovered you ready for this 30 percent of the entire book is devoted to our speech Now think about that, this this book that's telling us how to live wisely, one out of three verses, one out of three Proverbs is devoted to how we use our mouths and our speech and our words in a wise way, that's how important it is. Uh, A key, uh, the book of Proverbs, it kind of uh, surveys words and Glenn goes through and he gives us a, a summation of the survey and he breaks it down. The sages talk about positive use of our words and negative use of our words. Let me just do a quick survey of positive and negative use of words and what the sages of Scripture say about that. Let's talk first about positive use of our words. What do the sages say? One of the key components of, of a positive use of words is to learn to say things uh, in a timely way, to, to choose our spots when to speak and when not to speak. Proverbs 10.32 says, The lips of the righteous know what finds favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. So the righteous, the, the wise, they, they know when to speak. Another verse, Proverbs 15.23, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. So that's one of the principles of a positive use of words, that the wise person knows when to speak. They know when to inject certain words into a conversation. And the other side of that, the fool doesn't know when, and they're just always talking. There's that term that we throw around, putting your foot in your mouth, and that comes from foot and mouth disease, which is a deadly disease. That's the connective tissue there. Putting your foot in your mouth, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time is deadly. So when we're using words positively, a key principle is know when to speak. So uh, Proverbs gives us three primary characteristics of positive speech. If we want to be wise people and and use our words in a positive way, these three characteristics are attached to that. One is honesty. Uh, Positive speech is honest. Proverbs 12, 19a says, Truthful lips endure forever. The sages of Scripture, the writers of Proverbs, want our words to have integrity. They want what we say with our mouths to line up with our heart, and they don't want dissonance there. Secondly, positive speech is gentle. Gentleness is not weakness, and that's sometimes what we think of. Gentleness can be incredibly powerful. Actually, Proverbs 25, 15 says a gentle tongue can break a bone. Proverbs 15, 1 through 4, gentle words turn away wrath, and gentle words are a tree of life. So positive speech is honest, it has integrity, and it's also gentle. Third, positive speech is patient. Love this verse, Proverbs thirteen three. those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly come to ruin. So that's kind of a, just a really brief survey of the positive use of words, and, the, and the, the writers of Proverbs, the sages, spend a fair amount of time talking about that, but they spend a ton of time talking about the negative use of words, how not to use a words, warning us how dangerous words can be if we don't use them right four types of negative speech they talk about. Let's look at them briefly. One is the opposite of the honest and negative speech would, would be lying. Uh, lying they, is defined as a deliberate intent to deceive, usually with words, but sometimes with silence. Proverbs 6 lays out six things that are detestable to God. And number two, I think, is a lying tongue. And in that, in that passage, lying and deceit is the only one of the six repeated twice. There's an emphasis on it. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Why do we lie? I think essentially we lie because we think it will benefit us in the moment. If If we use deceit in the moment, we'll get out from punishment or we'll escape something. We're trying to benefit ourselves in the moment. But the book of Proverbs warns us against that uh, they they state that the benefits of lying is a fleeting vapor you may have benefit in the moment but it will come back for you it won't last they tell us that our lies are like clubs and swords and sharp arrows the second type of negative speech we have lying and then we have gossip oh boy gossip is i would call it, the invisible killer of community gossip happens In the shadows, we we don't see it happening. It's the the, the silent killer. It's uh, it's sniper fire. Um, I it 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 happens under the under uh, conversations that go something like this. Uh, Hey, there's something I want to share with you about this other person, so you can pray. I would say I would say gossip is the most destructive sin in church communities that isn't regularly addressed. I've long looked for a good definition of gossip, and Dr. Pemberton in his book, I think, provides an excellent one. He, he defines gossip this way. Speaking about a person or situation when I'm not part of the problem or its solution. I would simplify it even more than that. I would say anytime you're with someone else or a group of people, and you're talking about somebody that's not present in a way that is in any way negative, you are in deep, deep um, danger of of gossiping. Some people gossip innocently. They don't realize it's happening. They're not trying to be malicious. Some do it maliciously. Either way, either way, the sages of scripture tell us that it's destructive. Gossiping requires more than one party. So there's the person that may be saying the words, but there's also a person who's listening or people who are listening. Both Proverbs tells us are, are gossipers. And as we looked at the verse in the very first week, if you remember that verse, gossip is the fuel of the fire of conflict. said, <laughs> like without wood, remember, the fire goes out. Without gossip, conflict ceases. So wherever you see conflict, gossip is there. You might say, why do we gossip? The, the sages tell us that. This is the verse. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. It makes us feel good when we participate And gossip, good in our brokenness. If we can talk about someone else's brokenness, it makes us feel better about our own. And it's negative speech. It is deeply, deeply harmful to the people who participate in it and to communities. The third form of negative speech is flattery. Flattery is simply an insincere compliment. It's when you're telling somebody something that's going to make them feel good about themselves, but it's not true. The sages would say, don't do that. They would actually say flattery lays a trap for its victim. When you flatter someone, when you're saying something and it's maybe sincere, but it's not truthful, it sets a trap for the person you're talking to. How so? Well, it sets a trap for them because you're telling them something that's not true. They're going to start to, hey, you're really good at that, or you should do more of that. You're really skilled at that. When they're not, and it's going to set them up for a future fail. It's going to set them up for disappointment. It's going to maybe set them up for ridicule. Uh, Why do we flatter? You know, we want to be nice. We want people to like us. But the sages actually tell us the opposite is true. People who flatter aren't the best friends. Uh, They say it like this, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than the person who has a flattering tongue. Flatterers don't make good friends. Finally, the final form of negative speech the sages of Proverbs talk about is slander and slander, is simply an intent to harm. It can be truthful or untruthful. All of the previous three are harmful, but they're not always intentionally harmful. They just create harm. Slander is straight up intent. It's using words, whether truthful or untruthful, to harm another individual. What's the big idea of all this? Let's take, we take this brief survey of positive and negative traits of our speech, which is important to think through each of those. And there's probably a sermon on each of them. But the big idea is this. Um, Let me give an illustration to bear it out. I led uh, backpacking trips for for kids for many, many years when I was a youth pastor. And one year we went to a middle school backpacking camp in Colorado. It was run by another organization and they were, they were getting us set up for the week and they turned to our middle school students. We had about 30 middle school students and they said, Hey, during this week, we're only going to use words of life. We're not going to use words of death. And I'll never forget this. It was a long time ago. I was like, that's so profound. Words of life and words of death. Here's the deal. We didn't need to describe to the middle school students what words of life and words of death were. They knew. They knew. They they had received enough of both kinds of words that they knew uh, what they were. So here's one statement to kind of sum up what the sages of Proverbs would say about our speech. Our words have the power of life or they have the power of death. Our words have the power of life or death. Here's a couple verses that bear that out. Proverbs twelve eighteen: The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs fifteen four: The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. In Proverbs eighteen twenty one: From the message, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Let's even be more precise. What might you say? Maybe, maybe you're struggling and, and you don't get it like those middle school students did. Words of life I would describe as words that build people up. Words that build people up. And words of death is the opposite of that. Words that tear people down. The sages of Scripture said you can do either with your words. They're so powerful. They have the power of life or death. So let's break that down a little bit and talk about each of those components. Our words can certainly tear people down. Ryan Halligan was born in, New, in the state of New York moved to Vermont when he was age 10. He had some learning disabilities. He was kind of a quirky kid, as people describe him, but a really good kid. And because of his quirkiness and his learning disabilities, he started getting bullied at a young age. And he did his best to endure it. He did his best to build friendships. He befriended a a young lady named Ashley, who he thought was a trusted friend. And then Ashley turned her back on him and exposed a bunch of stuff online that was embarrassing. And then when he asked her about it in front of a bunch of other people, she called him a loser. Ryan then uh, formed a relationship with a pen pal online and thought that was a trusted relationship and shared with the pen pal in confidence that Ryan was being bullied to such a degree in middle school that he was thinking about killing himself. And this pen pal simply responded, Whew, it's about time. Think how crushing those words could be. And Ryan followed through on that on October 7th, 2007, 13 year old Ryan, uh, killed himself. He committed suicide. Didn't leave a note, but his parents found, found, uh, his, his, uh, his his book of his school book of pictures and, and a lot of pictures of his friends and his classmates in his yearbook, and, and they found each of the pictures the people did a bullet at him. He had taken a marker, and he had marked out their faces. It was a letter in and of itself. The power of words to tear down. I wish that was an isolated story, but as you probably know, I could go on and on and on. Suicide now for teens is the second leading cause of death. 17% of high school students say they think about, some even plan out, how to kill themselves. And much of this has to do with the power of words to tear down. Uh, Social media has heightened this, the regularity and the effects of bullying. Up to 50% of high school students now say they experience online bullying. So parents, if you're out there, don't be naive. Know this is going on. I think most of you do, but know this is going on and, and your students may not be talking to you. Open up those conversations, ask them about that. There's a great website, Stomp Out Bullying, that has some excellent resources. You know that famous adage, sticks and stones will break my bones. You can finish it, but words will never hurt me. It's a vicious lie, that adage. It's simply not true. Words can crush us. I think words can do greater damage than sticks or stones. Honestly, that's been my experience when I've been on the receiving end. That's been my experience when I've been the one saying the words that have crushed someone's spirit. I wish I didn't have examples of that, but I sadly do, where I'll get angry, I'll get frustrated, I'll use my words like daggers and like weapons, and the minute they're out of your mouth, you want to pull them back because you know how harmful you are, but the damage is done, and you can see it in the face of the person you're talking to and in their body language. Uh, Words can totally tear people down. The sages of Proverbs tell us this again and again and again. They're trying to get our attention. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors. Uh, from our reading earlier from Mercedes, a scoundrel plots evil, and on their lips, it's like a scorching fire. James, the brother of Jesus, and James is probably the closest we have to wisdom literature in the New Testament, says this. Such a powerful passage. The tongue also is a fire fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Science bears this out. Brain studies bear this out. One single word can release hormones of, of of worry and anxiety and stress in our bodies that can turn into a lifetime of those things. Words have that kind of power. If you grew up in a home that those words are being used to damage, that can become part of the rhythm of your entire body and your system and your hormones. That's the power of words. The The old adage, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, I think that that's true. In the English countryside, there's a, a simple gray tombstone that someone found and it read this. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. (laughs) I hope it doesn't take death to to teach us to control our tongues. I hope we're listening to the sages of Proverbs. They're telling us right now it's a matter of life and death. Another uh, adage, as you go through life, you're going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut take full advantage of all of them. I think that's what the sages of Proverbs are saying. You may ask, I probably know what you're thinking, some of you who are wired this way, but John, all our words can't be nice, and there's going to come times that we need to give criticism, and we need to heart, say hard things, and I think that's truthful. A, a couple couple instructions about that from the sages of Proverbs. One, Scripture's clear that is followers of Jesus we're never to judge anyone who's not a follower of Jesus so that takes out a whole population from saying those hard words too but if you're a follower of Jesus and you're in relationship with a follower of Jesus or you're a parent or you're leading other people there might come times that you might have to say hard words so What would the sages of Proverbs tell us about our hard words? How do we use hard words wisely? Here's just a couple of things that may be helpful. One, speak in the context of a relationship. Say hard words, not from a distance to people you don't know, same to people that you've cultivated trust with, that you have a relationship with. Uh, Proverbs tells us the wounds from a friend can be trusted. Those hard words are always going to land better if you've cultivated uh, trust in a relationship. Two, speak to the person, not at the person, or about the person. And this is consistent throughout scripture. Don't do the gossip thing. Don't talk somebody else or talk over here. Talk directly to the person if you have hard words to say. Speak gently, we see that in Proverbs 15.1 and other places. Speak kindly, Proverbs 31.26. From Ephesians 4, would tell us to speak the truth. And that's what you're wanting when you're saying, When do I say hard words? Speak the truth, but do it in love. When we're saying hard words, this is the person that's receiving them feel loved. They should, if we're doing it correctly. And then finally, speak words full of grace and truth. That's how John 1 describes Jesus, that he was full of grace and truth. Uh, we need to hold both of them together. At its heart, whenever we're having to say hard words to someone, our goal should be in saying the hard hard words to build them up and not tear them down. So yes, uh, words of death tear people down. That's unequivocally true in our experience. And we see that warning from the sages in Proverbs. We also see the hope and the invitation and the challenge that words can build people up and words can give life. 16-year-old Jamie Harrington was on the store one day to, to get something. And he noticed a man sitting on the very edge of a bridge with a, a, a big drop off. And he was concerned. Just something about the man's posture made him concerned. So Jamie walks over and sits down next to him and just simply says, hey, are you OK? And that led to about a 45-minute conversation where this man talked and he cried and he shared with this young 16-year-old boy who cared enough to stop and ask, are you OK? Uh, Jamie then went and, and got some help for the man, and 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 he kind of lost track of him. Three months later, Jamie gets a call from the man at home telling him that that day the man had planned to jump off the bridge and kill himself. Pretty much minutes um, after Jamie had, had arrived, he would have been dead. And he said, you, literally, you stopping and saying, are you okay? Saved my life. And the man then shared with Jamie that that uh, his wife had, had become pregnant and they're gonna have a little boy and they're gonna name him Jamie. Words, yes, they can tear down, but our words have the power to build up and the power to give life. And the sages of scripture are, are inviting us into that way of life, to use our words in that way. Here's some, some examples from Proverbs. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And then from Paul in Ephesians 4, love this verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, follow this, only what is helpful for building others up. There it is, words of life, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The goal of our words that the sages tell us in Proverbs, or, and then Paul agrees with, is that we would use our words to build people up, and benefit others? There's, there's, here's a great question as we're analyzing our words and we're thinking about how do we use this powerful thing that God's given us, our words. Do my words build people up or tear them down? Jesus said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of our day, that they were speaking in such a way to put burdens on the backs of the people. That's another great question. Do your words, as you're interacting with people, do they put burdens on other people or do they lift the burdens off? I uh, I remember many times in my life, as I shared earlier, where I've used my words like daggers and crushed people, sadly. I also have those instances in my life where I've had the opportunity to use words to build people off. You've been there. You've experienced it. You've seen how the, the burdens just come off and people lighten and a smile comes to their face when we use our words in the right way. Of all, of all of the animal kingdom, we're the only ones that God gave us the gift of words, the opportunity to give life. And again, science bears this out. Science is it studies brains that that positive words used in a way to lift people up can literally change the brain and change the shape of the frontal lobe so that we begin to see ourselves and we begin to see the world in a different way. We see this in the business world. For many decades, The the the, the the advice from business leaders was to look for for ways to criticize to look for ways to challenge don't give much encouragement or recent studies from Harvard and other places have shown this this is not true this is not how it works recent studies are showing that that bosses and leaders who come in to lead people and looking for strengths and using words of encouragement that leads to employees who are way more productive and way more creative and they actually stick around, they they want to stay around. This is borne out in our relationships. John Gottman is probably the world's leading marriage expert in- he, he went through like a, a 10, 15 years of studying couples, what works and what doesn't work. And he came up with this magic ratio called the five to one ratio. And John and his team found that couples that, that gave, had five positive interactions, five words of life to every negative interaction or every, every one word of death were the ones who thrived. And if that gets flipped, or even if it's even Stephen, you're in deep trouble. And I would guess that's not just true for romantic couples. It's also true for our friendships, the five to one ratio. I've seen this again and again in ministry for years as we took students backpacking or we took them around the world on missions trips. Part of what we would do is beforehand, because we knew they'd be away for a week to up to three weeks, is we would gather letters from their loved ones. So at some point in the week, our leadership team would choose when the students looked really tired and really longing for hope and And we would sit them all down and get out the bag of letters and it was mail call. And you should see these students come and grab their letters and even the leaders, we had gathered letters for everyone and take them like they were gold. And they'd run to the corners of the room and rip them open and then what did you hear? Almost immediately you heard tears. And and they were tears of joy because these were letters from people that loved them and believed in them and like, you can do this. you. And I would always stand back before I I open up my own letters and would cry. And I'd survey the room and it was a holy moment. And it reminded me of the power of words. So here's a little challenge, especially if you struggle, maybe you're more to the critical side of things and that's where you lean and that's your comfort zone. Here's really a challenge for everyone. I call it the 24 hour words of life challenge. Try just pick a day (laughs) and pray up so that the spirit of God is, is giving you strength. And a try for the entire day. Choose a day when you're around other people. That's probably a good caveat. So maybe it's hard right now. But for the entire day, just use words of life. Just use words of life and see. Just watch what it does for you. Watch what it does for them. Before we close, I want to talk for a couple moments about social media. You're like, oh, no, don't don't run. Don't, Don't close your computers. Uh, how can we ha- to have a sermon the power of words and not talk about social media? So a couple caveats. One um, is some of you may know my social media game is super lame. Um, I post about once a week. I'm on Facebook, Instagram a little bit. I follow a few people on Twitter, but I've got a really lame social media game. Um, I post pictures of my family camping, my dogs and clothes and like some nerdy theological quotes. And that's about it, that's what you're gonna find. But friend me and follow me, that's the board, the bear. And I'm just not on it much and I should probably be on it more. Uh, but I checked as I was writing the sermon, I checked my phone, uh, how much I was on Facebook over the last week on average, you have that app and it was six minutes and uh, Instagram was 56 seconds. <laughs> so uh, I just say that to say, I'm not an expert here. I understand we're in a pandemic, I don't want a social media shame. I'm sure there's a good place for it, and and we're lonely and, and trying to see what's going on. So uh, if you're one of those people who like, I, I got to be on it, um, I want to give some wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I kind of asked this question to myself as I was writing this. What would the sages of Scripture say about social media? One, I think they would say spend less time on it and again no shavy here i just a challenge study after study after study are showing there's a direct correlation between the amount of time we spend on social media and depression and anxiety it's just true and so just know that as your name be wise in that uh, the average social media use in america is two hours and 22 minutes a day so <laughs> that's that's crazy. I mean, that's it was mind boggling what what I heard that. Um, If that's you, I think the sage would say maybe ratchet that down a little bit. Maybe there's some ways you can take some of that time and spend it on embodied relationship and you can spend it in other ways that isn't going to produce anxiety and depression. So I think they would say that. But there's good places for it. Everything has good and bad uses. So as we interact with social media and we just live in a world, as I just confess, I probably need to be on it more and do it better. So as we engage, what would the sages of Scripture say? Here's just a couple of things. I hope this is helpful and not judgy at all. This is just, I think, what the sages would say. A couple of things. Uh, Don't respond quickly. Uh, Think before you speak. Uh, Proverbs says, Proverbs 13.3, those who speak rashly will come to ruin. We looked at that earlier. Two, don't respond when your emotions are out of control. Proverbs talks a ton about controlling our emotions and, and Scripture talks a ton about controlling our emotions. A couple questions. Would you be happy with your comments that you write or your post if you look at it the next day, (laughs) maybe in a few hours? Would you be happy in five years looking back? Um, Three, only say things on social media that you would say in person. So don't use social media as kind of a covert way to kind of gossip and hide behind the computer. Uh, If you're going to speak, say the same thing that you would say to a person that you're looking right at them. Uh, Four, this goes back to last week's message. If you remember it, if you haven't, you can go back and watch it. But what do the sages tell us about fools? Never argue with them. So if you encounter a fool on social media, you're going to want to. Don't, I beg of you, don't argue with fools. You can block people. You can unfriend them. I know that might seem harsh, but sometimes you may just use those tools. Uh, Next, ask wise friends to give you feedback. If you're uh, gonna post something, or just ask some wise friends to watch your social media behavior, invite them. Say, hey, I wanna be wise, I really do. Sometimes I can get carried away, can you give me feedback? Or if you're doing life, if you're married to somebody, or or you have good friends, you're in a community, I hope you are, and you trust people, maybe if you think it's a post that might elicit some strong emotions, hey, can you look at this? Can you look at this before I post it? pray before you post. I think that should be a no-brainer. Here's a great prayer. If you need a good prayer to pray before you post, and this comes from King David, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That may prevent you from posting some things. Uh, next, don't, uh, don't have hard or meaningful conversations on social media. It's just, it doesn't work. Uh, it, it, there's there's places to do things on social media that work well. Hard or meaningful or significant conversations, if it's a topic you care about a lot, don't have that conversation on social media. I think of it this way, the, harder, the more significant the conversation or the harder the conversation, the greater level of intimacy and communication. Meaning if it's a significant conversation, I need to have that face-to-face or at least call them. And as some of you know, I, I try my best to practice this. Um, sometimes I'll get an email from some of you that happens in church, or maybe maybe there's some suggestions or criticisms. Sometimes it's a Facebook message and I've caught, I think many of you off guard by immediately calling you. And that's my, my efforts to practice this because I believe in it. I don't do it perfectly, but I believe in it. And then finally, as you're thinking about what would the sages say about social media behavior? I think they would say, use the words of life checklist. And you might say, what's the words of life checklist? I'm so glad you asked. And I kind of want to end the the message with this. And and I hope this is practical and helpful. I thought through as I read and I studied, what do the sages say about words? I just put together this simple checklist, frankly, for myself, in my own social media behavior, my own uh, propensity to use words that can harm sometimes instead of give life. I think that if we go through and before we speak, before we have a hard conversation, before we post, if we go through this checklist, oh my goodness, I think it will save us from doing a ton of harm. So here's the checklist. Uh, are my words truthful and gracious? Um, are, are, they, are they, we're supposed to speak, the writer said, speak the truth uh, in, in love and we're supposed to have grace. Uh, are we giving the benefit of the doubt? Are we giving the, and are we having integrity with our language and what we're saying? Are my words gentle? Or you can even extrapolate beyond that and just include the whole fruit of the Spirit. That might be really hard. Do my words embody the fruit of the Spirit? But specifically, the sages m- mention one of the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness. Are so my words gentle? Do my words benefit others? That's from Ephesians 4.29. That's what Paul said. They should always benefit others. And you might say, well, what's benefit? Why well, jot jotted down a few words, encouragement or joy or laughter or hope. Is it good news for people? We're supposed to be people of the good news. When we talk with somebody, when we post, when we comment, when we interact, is it benefiting the the people that read it? Uh, Do my words promote peace? Romans 12, 20, Paul said, do everything you can at all times to live at peace with everyone. Ooh, That's a convicting verse. (laughs) Do my words promote peace? Uh, Next, do my words divide or unite? There are numerous warnings in the New Testament about divisive people. And basically the warning is if someone is divisive, this is what Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. When you speak to someone, when you speak on social media, do your words bring people together or do they divide them? And then going back to our original definition of words in life and death, do my words build up or do they tear down? So here's my challenge to you this week. Um, this is a, this is what's called a pin. I know it's, it's crazy. And pens work like this. There's a cap. You take it off. You press it to this thing called paper, and you write, and ink comes out. I know. It's, it's just it's crazy. My challenge is this. Uh, come up with one person that you want to encourage, New Hopers. One person. Take out a sheet of paper. Take out a pen. Take out an envelope, and write them a note of encouragement. Put a stamp on it or give it to them if you live close to them. Just one just one, and it could be the wisest thing that you do this week. My friend, uh, AJ, who's a pastor and speaker, he shared a story with me once he was speaking at a church and he spoke and he sat down next to the pastor on the front row and he leaned over. He's like, I'm so sorry, I went really long today, which is basically me every Sunday. And then the whole crowd started laughing because his mic was still on. In 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 the media world, that's called a hot mic. And you've heard numerous instances of this where people saying ridiculous things and it's caught on the mic. Here's the convicting question. The the sages of scripture say, we should really be on a hot mic all the time. We should speak thinking that everybody's always listening. Because as Glenn Pemberton says, he says, our speech is the truest indication of whether someone is wise or foolish. James, the brother of Jesus says it like this, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account but it can accomplish nearly anything and dis- or destroy it. Gary Chapman, who's a writer, says, I-, I love this imagery that our words are either bullets or seeds. Bullets or seeds. They're weapons of death or vehicles of life. Jesus said that one day we will give an account of every word. Every word that we have spoken. we'll give an account. Jesus knew the power of words. He knew they could bring life or cause death. What will it be, New Hope, today? In this next hour, in this next week, how will you use the most powerful thing possibly that you possess, your speech and your words? Will you use your words as bullets or seeds? Will you use it to tear down or to build up? Will your words bring death today or will they bring life? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness to us in all regards that you're with us in in every iota of our lives as we make decisions at the fork of the road, even in our speech, most especially in our speech, Father. You care deeply how we use our words because you created words, you created us, you created communication. And we know, we live this reality, Father, that we can be crushed by words and we can be lifted high by words and we can crush others with our use of words and we can lift others up. May we be faithful followers of you. May we be be distinct, God, in a world that's continually, increasingly divisive and maligning and not giving people the benefit of the doubt. May we be different, as Paul said. May we stick out like shining lights in the universe because of how we use our words. Face-to-face, social media, wherever we go, God, and help us. Help us. As James said, the tug is like an out-of-control creature sometimes. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. So uh, help, help us, even with that challenge, God, this week, just one letter. I just I sit here and think, even as I pray, God, the power of hundreds and hundreds of letters in a time of pandemic, in a time of so much fear, in a time of so, so much divisive speech, words and letters of encouragement flooding our community, and flooding our city. May we be faithful, God. Put the name of somebody on our heart right now as we're thinking about it. Not for our own glory, God, but for your glory. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen.